Our first reading comes from Psalm 111. Uh, let us join together in reading this, this piece of scripture and listen for God's word and wisdom to us today. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, in the company of the upright, and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are magnificent. They are treasured by all who desire them. God's deeds are majestic and glorious. God's righteousness stands forever. God is famous for his wondrous works. The Lord is full of mercy and compassion. God provides food for those who fear him and remembers his covenant forever. The Lord has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. God's handiwork is honesty and justice. All God's rules are they are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. God sent redemption for his people. God commanded it as his covenant lasts forever. Holy and awesome is God's name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. God's grace endures forever. Our second lesson today comes from the Gospel of Mark, the ninth chapter. Let us listen for God's word and wisdom again. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by, apart by themselves. And Jesus was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Last week, I was in Tucson, Arizona, on a personal retreat with some clergy women friends that I've known for over 30 years. We used to meet together every week when we were in seminary to support one another and pray for each other. And ever since then, we have tried to talk on the phone every month or two together as a group, the four of us. But we haven't been able to get together in person since well before the pandemic. So we were very much excited, looking forward to this trip. Unfortunately, COVID prevented one of them from joining us. But it was still amazing to be together, and we had our one friend uh, on the cell phone whenever we could, and whenever we were talking about big conversations and topics for our lives. One afternoon last week, we drove up Mount Lemmon. At an elevation of 9,159 feet, Mount Lemmon is the highest point in the Santa Catalina Mountains just north of Tucson. And even though it was a balmy 70 degrees at the bottom, we found plenty of snow at the top where it is normally at least 30 degrees cooler. You can even ski there at the southernmost ski resort in the continental US where they can get upwards of 200 inches of snow a year. 
The road to the top, called the Sky Island Scenic Byway, rises up through five different ecological life zones and is the biological equivalent of driving from the Sonoran Desert to a Canadian forest in less than an hour. All along the scenic and winding 28-mile road to the top, there are lots of overlooks and places to picnic and hike, rock climb, and camp. We stopped at the Windy Point Vista to eat our lunch and enjoy the amazing scenery. As we climbed around the different rock formations, I came up to the edge of a rock face. There before me stretched the Tucson Valley with I don't know how many mountain ranges in the distance. The sky above was a piercing turquoise blue with majestic clouds billowing in every direction. As I sat there, dangling my feet over the edge and looking down at the trees and canyons and that little tiny thread of a road twisting around far below me, I had one of those moments. I got the willies. By which I mean a shiver of fear started down in the tips of my toes and shot right up through my legs and spine, causing me to catch my breath and shudder at the overwhelming beauty and boundless space of the scene in front of me and the insignificant precariousness of my position in the midst of it all. You know what I'm talking about, right? That feeling you get standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon or on the top of a mountain or when you're looking down from the highest point of the roller coaster or from an airplane flying at 30,000 feet. Or maybe you felt it standing on a deserted beach overlooking the vastness of the ocean or sitting under the stars with the entire cosmos painted above your head. Maybe you felt it when you looked into the face of your newborn baby for the first time or held the hand of a loved one as they took their last breath. That feeling of awe, reverence, and yes, even fear. Because you know that you are in the presence of something far greater, far more powerful, far beyond your ability to fully comprehend or control. You know that in comparison to the infinite mystery in front of you, you are just a speck of dust, a grain of sand, a star among the billions and billions, as Carl Sagan used to say. Such an experience is both humbling and clarifying and has a way of putting everything else into perspective. This, my friends, is the fear of God. And it's what Peter and James and John experienced when they went with Jesus up the mountain in our scripture lesson today. Our passage falls right at the midpoint of Mark's gospel. Up until this point, Jesus has been something of a mystery man who appeared out of nowhere in the wilderness to be baptized by John and who then spent the next eight chapters on a whirlwind tour through Galilee and the surrounding countryside, teaching and preaching healing diseases and casting out demons, feeding multitudes, calming storms, and clashing with the local religious leaders. The disciples had been following him every step of the way, sharing in the crowd's amazement and trying to get a better handle on who this Jesus really was. 
just prior to our passage today, Jesus actually asked the disciples who the crowds thought he was and then who they thought he was. And Peter blurted out what they all were secretly hoping. You are the Messiah. But then Jesus turned their smiles of celebration into frowns when he started talking about the suffering and the rejection he would have to face and which would ultimately lead to his death. Now the disciples were more baffled than before. That's when Jesus invited his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, to hike up a nearby hill with him. And once they reached the top, that's when the fireworks really started. Jesus was transfigured right in front of them. His whole appearance completely changed. Where before had stood their dusty, sweaty rabbi, there now stood a heavenly being, shining so brightly that they could not bear to look at him. Standing on either side of Jesus were Moses and Elijah, two of the greatest leaders and the most important figures in the Jewish faith, come back to life in this miraculous moment, a sure sign that Jesus truly was the anointed one, the Messiah, who would usher in God's holy reign on earth. Then a cloud appeared above them, just like the cloud that had descended over Moses on Mount Sinai and over Elijah on Mount Horeb, another sure sign that God really was right there with them. From the cloud they heard a voice so loud it reverberated through their bodies. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. As one preacher described it, the disciples experienced that mouth-drying, heart-thumping, knee-buckling kind of fear. After rejoicing at the presence of Elijah and Moses, they were suddenly reduced to blubbery, quaking jelly by the power and splendor of the voice from above. They could not comprehend the magnificence of the divine presence, nor the implications of what the voice was saying. The entire experience was a mystery, way beyond their ken and kin. No wonder they reacted by curling into defensive little fear balls at Jesus' feet. This might be a little surprising to us, maybe even disappointing, to learn that in the very presence of God, in the presence of something so powerful and wonderful, the disciples were afraid. But can you blame them? As much as we all might wish for our own blinding light or burning bush experience, don't you think it would be pretty terrifying to come face to face with the glory of God? I'm sure it would make me feel very small and insignificant and powerless, which is exactly what fear does. Many of us may be uncomfortable with this idea of fearing God, as South African author and teacher Wendy Witter writes, if someone or something has ever put the fear of God in you, it likely wasn't a positive experience. And you'd be happy if it never happened again. The cultural idiom is resoundingly negative. It makes us think of God as a watchful overlord or a strict disciplinarian or a jealous tyrant who is just waiting for us to mess up and break the rules so he can swoop down in judgment and punish us. 
Too often in our Christian faith, God has been portrayed as yet another thing to fear. And let's face it, most of us aren't comfortable with fear in general, other than occasionally scaring ourselves with horror movies and other adrenaline rushes, we tend to stay far away from anything that hints of threat or danger to our health or our loved ones or our lifestyle and well-being. This is largely because fear is the internal warning system with which we humans and many other species have been wired to keep us safe. Fear lets us know when something might be wrong and when we need to pay attention to our surroundings and our words and our actions and our choices so that we can proceed with caution. Whether we choose fight or flight, fear can be literally life-saving. So fear can be both healthy and helpful when it is kept in its place and we don't let it take over our lives. Unfortunately, we are living in a time when fear seems to be running the show in so many of our lives and certainly our world. So many of today's problems, from individual anxieties and broken relationships, all the way up to the political polarization in our country, wars around the world, and planetary climate change, are at their root based in some kind of fear. Fear of failure. Fear of not having enough, fear of falling behind, fear of being alone or vulnerable, fear of losing control, fear of the unknown, the stranger, the future. This is why we are spending the season of Lent this year taking a look at many of these fears and how they actually lead us astray from the life of love and faith that God has called us to. However, today's scriptures are about a different kind of fear. The fear of God, which the Bible mentions over 300 times, and actually seems to lift up as a good kind of fear. In fact, for the psalmist in our first lesson, it's the very starting point or the foundation of wisdom and righteousness, helping us to live in right relationship with God, one another, and the world. This is because the fear of the Lord brings us face to face with the reality of who God is, as the creator of the universe, the liberating force of love, and the sustaining power of all life. As Old Testament professor James Mays points out, in Hebrew, the words awesome and fear are forms of the same root word, yireh. Fear of the Lord corresponds to the fearsome reality of God, which in turn engenders profound awe and reverence in us. Or as author Whitney Hopler writes, the fear of the Lord is a healthy fear that leads us to wisdom by way of wonder. Fearing God means having an overwhelming sense of reverence not only for God's awesome power and majesty, but also for God's steadfast love and faithfulness toward all that God has created. This inspires awe in our souls and a deep desire to live in communion with such an awesome God and the amazing world that God has created. As Methodist chaplain Morton Guyton explains, 
The fear of the Lord is the opposite of being driven into hiding by a fear of God's punishment. The fear of the Lord happens when you have been compelled into intimacy with a ridiculously powerful and amazingly infinite God through a radical trust in God's mercy. The fear of the Lord seizes you when you see that God is really there. And this isn't just a story we're telling ourselves so that society will be orderly and the kids will get raised right while their parents have wholesome friends to sit in the bleachers with. When you have the fear of the Lord, you recognize that the God you are facing is an infinite being who can accomplish anything, anything God wants, even through you, which is the basis for your faith and confidence in the power that God offers you. Or as Pope Francis explains, the fear of the Lord is a gift of the Holy Spirit, and it doesn't mean being afraid of God, since we know that God is our Father and always loves and forgives us. It is no servile fear, but rather a joyful awareness of God's grandeur and a grateful realization that only in Him do our hearts find true peace. In this way, the fear of the Lord is exactly what we need as we begin this Lenten journey and we face the fears in our lives and in the world around us. It is the beginning of wisdom, the starting point on the journey through our fears to discover the God who is love both infinite and incarnate. This journey will lead us to lives of purpose, compassion, and peace. It will lead us to love poured out on a cross and love resurrected for the salvation of the world. This Lenten journey through our fears will ultimately lead us to that perfect love that casts out all fear. Then, with the psalmist, we will be able to praise God with all of our hearts and our minds and our lives as we celebrate the awesome power and amazing works of the one who is beyond our wildest imaginings and yet as close as our next breath. As I put this together this week and as I was thinking about how to end it, the words to one of my favorite hymns came to mind, and that's I'd like to close with them. Love divine, all loves excelling, joy of heaven to earth come down. Fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure, unbounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation, enter every trembling and fearful heart. Finish then thy new creation, pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee, changed from glory into glory. Till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. That's where we're headed in this season of Lent. Who's coming with me? Amen.